Thank you. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I feel like, and I, I say this often, but it's true. I feel like I could just get up and like say thank you to the worship team and like we've encountered God. Like, <laughs> um, so thank you so much. There are a couple of the points in the song I'm like, like I'd love to just jump right in the middle of that and preach because that's part of it. Like so much connection today to what what God has for us. But We are continuing our Christmas playlist series, and I want us to turn to one of the most famous Christmas passages that we have, Malachi chapter 4. I'm joking about it being a famous Christmas passage, but I'm not joking about it. We're going to be in Malachi 4. It'll be up on the screen, uh, or if you want to jump on on your phone, or if you have your Bible with you. Um, I want to start out just in verse 1. It says, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. That's a vivid picture. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. All right, let's sing a Christmas song and we're done, right? So that passage in Malachi 4, I'm going to show you in my physical Bible today. It's here. Flip over a page, harder to do upside down. Blank page, says New Testament on the other side. And then we flip over and we're in Matthew. And like we're into what we know of the Christmas story. We're into the genealogy there of Matthew. And we just go on and like, you know, if you're just reading straight through the Bible, you hit that, flip a couple pages and boom, you go. For them... God speaks and says, I'm going to send Elijah, who this, this revered prophet, and he's going to come, and all these things are going to happen. And then God's silent. And I know it's been touched on a little bit in the messages the last couple weeks, but I want to sit there for a second. Over 400 years. Hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to send Elijah. He's going to come. All these things are going to happen. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, a lot happened for them during that time. At that point, they were kind of back in their land. The temple had been restored, but like you just kind of read through and this, this king came in and conquered them. This kingdom came in, this empire came in, like one after another after another. They had the Maccabean revolt, um, you know, some different things there. And next thing you know, the Romans are there and it's just silence from God. And yesterday I had a, a, a little bit of a lengthy drive, and I, while I was driving and reflecting on the Christmas season, I have spoken multiple times heading into Christmas seasons in the past where I'm like, you know, don't miss it. Don't let the season just fly by. Take the time to sit in it. Prepare your heart. Advent, it's about coming. And so waiting and anticipation and all of that. And this Christmas season, I'm like, whoa, yesterday was two weeks until Christmas. And I barely caught my breath yet. And for us, I mean, it seems like, I mean, they were waiting and they were waiting and they were waiting. But the reality is for most of them, I think they probably had given up by that point. 
And they were just running along and running along and running along. And yes, from two weeks ago, they had cried out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Please, God, come and be with us. And I know that Silent Night, we talked more about peace and all of that last week. But for them, it sounded like a lot of silent nights, but not in a positive way. And they're just rolling along and rolling along and rolling along and rolling along. And again, 400 plus years. And the reality is I kind of went in and was doing a little bit of the math. And we don't have it exactly like this was written on this date. And then this happened on this exact date. It was more than 400 years. It, was, it looked to me, now this is just me, so don't, don't take this to the bank. But it looked a little closer to 420, 430 years. Anybody know what else took about 430 years? The time that the children of Israel spent in Egypt. And that was a long, long, long time where it felt like God was not up to anything there. And, it, and Pastor David, who gave me this illustration several years ago, but he pulled it from the Chronicles of Narnia. And it's the quote that says, because of what the witch has done, it's always winter and never Christmas. And again, it's like the land had just been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And for them, it was winter, which some of you like, but... Like, I like the Christmas part of winter, but imagine having winter but not getting Christmas in the midst of it. And I know in Texas it may be 85 by the time we roll back around at Christmas, who knows. But at least now that it's a little bit colder, it feels like it's coming. But imagine that silence. And there are, there are, numerous, there are numerous psalms in the book of Psalm where the people of God cry out to God. And one of the ones I go to over and over and over again is one that I think I could hear them crying out in this 400 years. Psalm 13, starting in verse 1, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemies will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And again, I hear the children of Israel resonating with that. God, have you forgotten us? Do you not remember that we're your people? You said we were your chosen people. And, and if I remember right, the covenant was really based on you, not on us, because we've messed up plenty. But where are you? When are you going to keep this promise? When are you going to at least speak to us again? I mean, when the, when the time of the prophets were there, at least they'd come and tell us what we did wrong and what we needed to do right to, to get back into relationship with you, but we haven't heard from you. But then we jump over. We jump into it. And Pastor Lane hit on part of, part of the verses I'm going to hit this morning as well from Luke 2. We read these words that we do resonate with a little bit more at Christmas. It says, in, the days, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there, were no, there was no guest room available for them. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people Because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now, before we jump ahead, there's a, there's a picture we're going to show in a minute. Like, I looked and looked and looked. I wanted to find a couple of pictures that really captured the essence of this. It's hard to do. One, you end up with the whitest baby Jesus that you've ever seen in your life and like with, you know, with the radiance glowing and all of that. And I'm pretty sure that Jesus was not a glow-in-the-dark baby. And so like I, I wanted something that looked a little bit more realistic. And so we've got a picture here and it's a, it's a little bit hard to see. It's kind of dark. There's a donkey in the background. And the people that are there, they don't look all fancy. They don't look like they've got it all together. They just look like a couple of average peasants pretty much. You got Mary and Joseph that look average and shepherds coming around. But it's this picture of them there kneeling in front of this baby Jesus. And again, just a baby that the angel had to say, here's how you're going to know it's him. Because guess what? There were probably a few other babies born that night. And they actually probably would have been wrapped in cloths as well. That was pretty normal. What was not normal was finding a baby in a manger surrounded by animals as well. But you have that there. And our song today, kind of our, our, our part of the Christmas playlist, is the song, What Child Is This? And it's reflecting on what the shepherds must have been saying in that moment. And I know they heard what the angel said. One of two things probably would have happened when they encountered the angel, though. I mean, like, obviously they were terrified, but, like, either they were so scared that they really didn't catch much of what the angel said, and they're just like, okay, he said go there, let's go there and figure this out. Either that or two, it was so brained in their mind, they could never forget what it was. But I kind of, I could sense it being like, baby born something, like something amazing, and I'm glad I'm still alive. And, you know, because then not only the one angel, but then this whole host shows up, and they're praising God and glorifying him. And So there's a guy, though, named William Chatterton Dix, and in 1865, he's in England, so he's not really affected as much by the U.S. Civil War, but he's there, and he's a manager of an insurance company, and he becomes very, very sick that year, to the point that he doesn't know if he's going to live. He spends a lot of time bedridden, and while he is there, just just lying in bed, sick, hoping he lives... He had an encounter with God that, that all of a sudden he's like, I, I need to do something. And he starts spending time in, his, in the Bible and reading and reading and reading. And in the midst of that, he has a spiritual renewal that happens in his life. And so at some point in 1865, he pins the words to the song, What Child Is This? And then it's put, to, put later to the, the tune of the great English song, Greensleeves, um, which you'll recognize in a minute when we sing the song at the end. But it comes out there. But these words that say, what child is this 
who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and donkey, somebody caught what's, what normally goes there, uh, what, where ox and donkey are feeding, the end of fear for all who hear, the silent word is speaking. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him laud or praise, the babe, the son of Mary. And then he turns it into an invitation. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh, come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. And so when we look at the, we look at the Christmas story and we reflect on it, we turn back to some Old Testament passages. And there's one in, in Isaiah chapter 7 that Pastor David would have touched on with Emmanuel. And it, this, the woman or this virgin giving birth and that the child's name would be called Emmanuel, which means, again, God with us. And the second passage is in Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to look at verse 6 from it. And this was one of the main verses that he had in mind when he was writing the song, What Child Is This? It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so as, these angel, as the shepherds come, having heard from the angel, and they come and they kneel in front of this baby, and they say, what child is this? I think that passage from Isaiah 9 can give us some of the answers to who this child is. One, that he's wonderful counselor. And Counselors today, you know, that we, when we hear about a counselor today, we usually think more of a therapist and someone that can, can help when we're going through tough times and help us process those things. And those are very good and very helpful. But in this context, I don't think we think of, you know, hey, we're just lying on a, you know, on a couch somewhere sharing, sharing our story there. But kings had counselors. Rulers had counselors who would come and they would share wisdom with them. They would help them process through their decisions. They would give them insight that they might not have on their own. And so, you know, they would go and the wonderful counselor can give us godly advice, godly counsel, telling us about God in life. Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And do you have, you have this picture there of saying, God wants us to know him. God wants us to understand him. He wants us, and again, we're never going to fully understand God. We'll spend eternity learning more and more and more about who God is. But that we have God, that we have the Holy Spirit that he gives to us to be able to understand him more and his ways more and to seek his guidance and his, his instruction and his counsel. And it helps us as we go through. He is a wonderful counselor. And then mighty God, that Jesus is God himself. That he's not just pointing to him. He's not just showing about him, but that he is God himself, that he is God with us, that he is God who comes and has lived among us. 
dwelt with us, eaten with us, the all-powerful, almighty God who chooses to be with you and with me. And when I have a book here called Praying the Names of God, and there are a number of names of God, and, and a lot pulled from the Old Testament, some from the New Testament as well, but you have the Lord who provides, you have the Lord who heals, the God who sees me, El Shaddai, God Almighty, and that's how he revealed himself to Abram, Abraham, in this covenant relationship. And you can go down the list of these things, but that almighty God chose to come and to live with us. Then you have everlasting Father. So when you hear that, it's easy to go, well, now wait a minute. The, the Trinity's confusing, but are you, Jesus, Father, what? Like, okay, no, 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 we're not, we're not changing the Trinity here. Have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it's not replacing the Father in that, in that sense, but the founder of something is often known as the father of something. So now you get to participate in this part here. The father of fast food. Does anybody have a guess who would be known as the father of fast food? Very good. Ray Kroc. And why would he be considered that? McDonald's. Did he found McDonald's? No. Good, good answer. He didn't found McDonald's, but he, he ends up getting to meet the McDonald's brothers, likes what they're doing, wants to, to, to basically take that system and turns it into an incredible empire. Whether you like the food or not, that's, that's up to you, but, you know, the father of fast food. So the father of basketball. James Nay, Naismith. Very good. All right, so James Naismith. The father of nuclear physics. Uh, it's arguable. So Oppenheimer could be, or Ernest Rutherford was another one. So there you go. Um, the father of modern science. And it, this is given to him by Albert Einstein, so I'm going to go with his word on it. <laughs> yes, Bill Nye the science guy, thank you. Um, Einstein called Galileo Galilei as the father of modern science, but you know, Bill Nye too. Um, this one I think will get a little bit quicker, the father of psychoanalysis. Freud, Sigmund Freud. Okay, very good. So all of these people that either are very prominent in their field or they're the ones that helped found it. And in this, in this passage in Isaiah, we see Jesus, you know, being referred to, this child that would come, being called the father of eternity, everlasting father, that he's the one who will open the doorway to eternal life, the father of eternity. And then the prince of peace. In a world that's torn by war, how good is it to know that there is a prince of peace who will put an end in the end to war? But more than that, what about in our lives when we are not at peace, when we're struggling, when we're hurting, when we're going through pain, we're going through loss, all of those things? Yesterday, there were at least, and these are the ones that I know of, there were at least five funerals of people that I knew that took place yesterday on the same day. One was a 97-year-old lady at a church where I'd pastored before. One was a 90-year-old who, who was the dad of, of a friend of mine from when I was growing up at school. One was 73, who a number of us in this room know. One was 50, 
a wife who lost her husband four weeks before that and leaves behind a 21-year-old daughter. And one was a 58-year-old pastor in Waco that went to seminary with David and me, Ken Walton. So just yesterday, on one day, five families, five groups of friends, five, you know, church communities that they were a part of that are experiencing the hurt and the pain of loss. And in the midst of that, that there is one who is the Prince of Peace, who can come and can comfort, the one who is present, and the one who brings peace that passes all understanding. And so we look and we say, this child, this child that they found in a manger, all four of these things, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace, the things we need him to be. But I want to throw out a kind of a couple reminders before we get to the end this morning. One, it's not enough for us to keep Jesus in the manger. So I have this, this sense of tension when it comes to Christmas time because I don't want us to blow past what Christmas time means. And it's easy when we go to when we when we come to Christmas to just fast forward to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And to miss what an incredible thing it is of Emmanuel, that God came and was with us, just in and of itself, by itself. But the story is incomplete if we just stay there and we just leave him in the manger. And so I have with me today a prayer from a not-so-theological movie that I can't read all of, and that's even the edited version, from Talladega Nights, the, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. Um, and we've had a couple references to it already, but in which Ricky Bobby prays repeatedly to baby Jesus, and then they get in discussions and arguments about whether he should just pray to baby Jesus because, you know, he, was a be- he had a beard, he was a man, so you should, you know, that or all the other things they wanted to do. But he really liked praying to eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. And he was going to do it because he was the one that won all the races. So he got to choose that. So we're not going to go too far into that prayer. But yes, so many times we're like, I like, though, the baby Jesus. Because it's a little bit easier to control little baby Jesus. I mean, he's just there. He doesn't really say much. He's wrapped in his golden linen. Um, (laughs) It's a funny prayer. Just know what you're getting into. Um, But it gives us a sense of control in that moment rather than Jesus who grows up. Jesus who walks the earth. Jesus who lives a perfect life which we're like, man, I'd I'd like to make it through a perfect hour. You know, (laughs) he lives a perfect life and then he gives his life on the cross for you and for me and for the world around us. 
But we need to remember we don't just leave him there in the manger. But the other reminder is that Jesus doesn't fit all of our expectations. He doesn't. When the people of Israel, or really the Judeans, kind of more specifically in Isaiah 9, when they hear this prophecy about this one who would come and would be these things, they weren't thinking, yeah, like four or five hundred or more years later, I mean, it was even longer than that for them, you know, down the road, this person's going to come. They were facing enemies, and they were like, okay, so you're telling us about somebody that's about to be born, somebody that may be alive now, and they, there's King Ahaz, and he, and he ends up having a son, and his son's name is Hezekiah, and in their mind, a lot of them probably connect the dots and go, oh, Isaiah's talking about Hezekiah. He, he's going to sit on David's throne. He's going to restore us to prominence. He's going to protect us. He's going to deliver us. He's going to be all of these things. And guess what? When Hezekiah dies, they're still facing the same enemies. They're still facing the same challenges and the same, uh, the same captivity that they were in. And all of a sudden, they're like, wait, Hezekiah may not have been the one. Luke 24, verse 21, at the end of Jesus' life, after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, but unknown to the guys he's walking with, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with these two men, and, and they're, they're, they're just downtrodden. They're so upset. They're, so, they're heartbroken. And Jesus is like, what's going on? Why are you all so upset? What's the big deal? And they're like, don't you know what's happened? Where have you been? Like, have you been busy the last three days or something? You know, like, how do you miss this? I mean, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. And, and he was, he was going to be the Messiah. I mean, he came and we cried out, and Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and all of these things and this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he's going to come and he's going to kick the Romans out. And he's going to do all these things and restore us to prominence and everything. And boom, they killed him. Luke 24, 21, but we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had it all figured out. We've read the scriptures. We've heard all of these things. Like we put our trust in people before, but they had never done what Jesus had done. We, we were sure he was the one. And they're crying out in that moment. Jesus isn't always going to meet our expectations. He didn't even always meet John the Baptist's expectations, and John was his cousin. Matthew 11, verse 2, it says, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And this is the John the Baptist who came out saying, You know, prepare the way of the Lord. By the way, he's coming. He's my cousin. Like John was so sure of this. And he, he makes all these proclamations that Jesus is the one. He's the one who's greater than me. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoe. When Jesus comes to be baptized, he's like, well, you should, like, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. Like, you are the one. And in this moment, when things are falling apart around John and it doesn't make sense to him, he's like, go find out if he's really the one or if I missed it and we should be looking for somebody else. And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, 
the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And Jesus just says, hey, just tell them what you see. If you really want to know if I'm the one, just tell them what you see and what you've seen me do. And they go back to John and they tell him, and it doesn't solve John's situation where he is. John ends up being beheaded and dying. But he goes back and he knows that Jesus really was the one when he hears that. And the reality is we can count on Jesus even when he doesn't meet our expectations because of what we have already seen him do. The way that we've already seen him work in lives. The miracles, literal miracles that we've seen him do. The ways that, he, that he's answered him. And maybe we, a friend, and I won't give away their story completely, but a friend of ours who had been praying for something for months that got the word this week of God coming through and answering that prayer. Others who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for years to finally see God show up and move, where God has stepped in. That passage from Psalm 13, where we had the how long have you forgotten me and everything, I didn't read the whole chapter. I wanted to save the last two verses. Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. After the psalmist has cried out and said, have you forgotten me? How long? My enemies are going to rejoice at me failing. All of those things, he says, but... I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. Why? For he has been good to me. What child is this? He's Emmanuel, God with us. What child is this? He's the hope of the world. And I think this morning, each of us should ask that question of what child is this in my life? Because the reality is whatever you need today, Christ is the one who can provide it. He's the one who can feel it. He's the one who can heal it. He's the one who can deliver. And it may take a while. Again, they waited for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Most of us haven't had to wait that long. But God is faithful. And Jesus coming shows that God is faithful. So again, what do you need God to be in your life? What are you waiting for him to do? Have you left him in the manger? Oh, it's nice. Oh, yay, God came, baby great or have you invited him to be your lord and your savior have you invited him to be the one that is your your wonderful counselor have you proclaimed that he is mighty god have you embraced him as everlasting father the one who opens eternity for you have you turned to him as the prince of peace because he's victorious he is christ the king He's faithful, and he is the deliverer. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning, and we are able to come because of your incredible love. We could never on our own deserve to enter into your presence. Your holiness, 
your holiness that was so great that one time a year, one person got to walk into the Holy of Holies. And you invite us to come as your children, to call you Abba, Father, Daddy. And Father, in this room today, there are hurts, there are pains, there are illnesses, there are needs. And God, we're really good at trying to carry all those things ourselves. But Jesus coming means we don't have to. Father, help us to turn those things to you, to release them to you. Father, I pray for anyone in this room this morning who doesn't have a relationship with you, that even now you're stirring in their hearts, drawing them to you, God. Helping them to see that you are who they need and that nothing else will satisfy Father, for so many in this room, that we have a relationship with you, we have walked with you, we have seen you do great things, but it's easy to forget. It's so easy to fade away. That, Father, you would stir up something in our heart again. That we would say, yes, God, there are times where it feels like you have forgotten us, that you don't even know who we are, that we feel so far away, and yet we know that you are good that you have been good to us. And God, we know that you are there one step away, just waiting for us to turn back to you, God, to trust you in that moment. God, help us to do that today. Help us to embrace who this child truly is, who Jesus really is, and Father, who you are. We're going to sing through that song in just a moment, What Child Is This? We're going to have some prayer team members at the front who would love to pray with you. Like we said, if, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, today I hope you, the answer to what child is this is Savior. That you would come and one of, one of these prayer partners or, or one of our pastors would be glad to have an opportunity to introduce you to Jesus today. Maybe there's something else in your heart that, that you just need to let go of that you just need to say, okay, God, I, I have held this for as long as I can, far longer than you would have wanted me to, and that you would just lay it at his feet today. But again, you would find that Jesus is who you need with whatever you need today. So let's stand, let's sing together, and let me invite you to respond however God leads.